So who loves getting gifts, right? Yeah, yeah, same, right? Who loves, you love like just being able to receive, you love Christmas, you love, uh, you know, Valentine's Day, birthdays, maybe just a Tuesday. Uh, you don't need a reason to get a gift. You just love getting gifts. Uh, who loves giving gifts, right? Yeah, look at that. Look at all those awesome hands in the air. Yeah, you love giving gifts. You know, around the holidays come around, you're ready. You've uh, been on Pinterest, you've got your lists, you've got your gifts, and for you, the greatest uh, gift is watching someone else open their gift. So you love giving. And there's others of us who feel as if we can't receive a gift. And there's others who don't feel like they have to, don't want to, can't afford to, or just simply won't participate in the act of giving. And so if you meet any of those criteria, you're in luck. Because today we're going to be talking about how the gospel changes the way that we give. And so if this is your first time with us, uh, we're wrapping up our series called This Changes Everything. We're taking a look at how the gospel impacts and affects every aspect of our lives. And as Christians, it means for us to increasingly submit all of our lives under the lordship of Jesus. And all of our lives includes our money. And I know what you're thinking, you know, uh, when the pastor starts talking about money, it gets awkward. Some of you are grabbing for your wallets already. You're looking for them. You're like, "Uh uh-uh, no, no, no. Um, Why do churches have to talk about money? All the church wants is my money. And why can't we just talk about Jesus? Great point. Let's talk about Jesus. You know, 25% of Jesus's ministry, his sermons, red letters, were about money. Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven and hell. Jesus talked more about money than pretty much anything outside of the coming kingdom of God. And in the gospel of Luke alone, one out of every seven verses was about money, stewardship, or resources. So Jesus talked a lot about money. And and here at Redemption, we talk about it as well. It's a core value for us. And the reason why Jesus talks so much about money is because it is an everyday part of our lives. And I listen to you and I talk to you. And, uh, you know, one of the things that our biggest struggle is is money. And so much of our life is revolving around money. You know, we we never seem to can get enough. We never seem to can get ahead. It is the motivating factor uh, for many of our everyday lives. It's an integral part. And wherever we go, someone is either talking to you or taking from you your money. And it's an everyday part of our life. So when you go to the grocery store, what do they want from you? It takes money. You know, you, you take your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, kids out for dinner on a date, money. You go to work, you come home, you cash to check, and you wake up and you do it all over again. It's always in this cycle of trying to get ahead or to make some money. And so we want to be able to give you a right view, an understanding of where your money comes from and where it goes. Because, you know, if you don't learn about this here at the church or to see what God says or how God views the way we give or the way we spend, then the world is going to take it from you. And they're not going to try to help you understand. They just want it for themselves. And so we want for you to have a good understanding of where your money comes from and where it goes. And I know what you're thinking, like, the church just wants my money. And like, we don't want anything from you. But we do want something for you. What we want for you is to reveal the grace of God. 
What we want for you is to join God in the renewal of all things. We want for you to see how the gospel changes the way we view money and how the gospel changes the way we give. And when the gospel changes the way that we give, we can change this world. And so if you would stand with me for the reading of the word of God, today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. And we got a little bit, a lot of bit of Bible that we're going to go through today. And because what I want to do is I don't want you to hear my opinions. And I don't want you to you know, think that I'm just trying to guilt trip you or, or any of that. We're going to center it around Jesus. And so we're going to stay focused on the scriptures uh, and see what God says. And so we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. As you're finding that, I'll read, we'll pray, and we'll get started. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord by the will of God to us. So they obeyed the great commandment to love God and to love people. They gave to the Lord and then to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in all uh, our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace. I say this not as a command, but to prove earnestness for others that your love is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment, benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, also to desire to do it. So now finishing doing it as well, so that the readiness and desire may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you should be burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness as it is written, whoever gathered, gathered much had nothing left over, but whoever gathered little had no lack. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord, because you have graciously given to us. Lord, you have given us your Son that would save us. You've given us your church that would call us together and give us a family. You've given us your Spirit that would empower us. Lord, you are so gracious, you are so generous, you are such a giver. And we thank you for that. And Lord, we pray that your gifts would flow through our hands into the city around us. And that there would be people in this room today that would understand the love of Jesus. And that they would join us. All right. How many of you guys found us on Facebook? Raise your hand. Look at that. Look at hands all over the place. Found us on Facebook. Yeah, uh, when we were setting out to plant redemption, that was one of the awesome tools uh, that we have as planting churches in the 21st century, using Facebook, Instagram, you know, um, Twitter, Google AdWords. And, and so, like, that's an awesome opportunity. So if you found us on Facebook, you know how important that is for you to share, for you to check in, for you to tag, for you to invite your friends. It's a great opportunity, an amazing resource, super affordable, and uh, that's called being a good steward. And so thank you for sharing, and 
That's how we keep growing. Um, Paul didn't have Facebook. As you know, like first century people, he didn't, he couldn't sit down at a you know, laptop and you know, make a, a post or invite people to a gathering or to an event. So what Paul did is he wrote letters. And so Paul would send a letter ahead of him to a church that he had planted or a church that he was going to visit or a church that he was fixing to plant. And he would send the letter with a young man, this guy named Titus, and they would raise funds. They would build a team and then they would plant a church or they would do ministry into the city. And that's where we find here in the book of Corinthians. And so Paul sends the letter with Titus and he's writing to the church of Corinth. And here at the church of Corinth, uh, the Corinthians are probably a lot like us. And so, you know, they're young. Uh, They probably have, you know, an amazing worship band. Uh, They're a little artsy. Uh, They probably got a great website. And uh, and that's who the Church of Corinth is. And as the Church of Corinth, most of them were young, just like here, a lot of uh, 20-year-olds, a lot of uh, singles. And so the Church of Corinth was very similar. And uh, being young and young in the faith, that also means that they were immature when it came to their generosity. And Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he is, he is giving them an example of a church in Macedonia. And in Macedonia is the church of uh, Philippi. And in Macedonia is an area of, Turkey, of uh, Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. And in there is the church of Philippi. Next week, we start a brand-new series called The Art of Joy, where we're going to be taking uh, about 10 weeks walking through the book of Philippians, looking at this church in more depth and more detail about how in you know, such dire circumstances they could have such abundant joy. And this is what Paul is writing, and he's commending the church in in Macedonia as being an exemplary church because of their outrageous generosity in such dire circumstances. He's saying this is an exemplary church. And for us, redemption, that's a church that we aspire to be like. So as they're writing here, there is a major recession that is happening. And people are losing their jobs, and people are going uh, into poverty. And both Corinthians and the Macedonians began to experience this. And it's not a lot unlike what we kind of walked through in 2009. We hit a... We're starting to, to feel the pressure of that. And, you know, in, uh, in Beaumont, the unemployment rate was 11%. Right now, we're about 5 So we're doing pretty good. We're, we're not doing, you know, amazing, but we're right about the national average. So the Corinthians are doing all right. And so being in the church of Corinth, he's writing, he's saying the Macedonians are what I aspire for you to be like. So what were the Macedonians like? How did they respond in such dire circumstances, in severe affliction? They responded with abundant joy and overflowing generosity. We live in Beaumont, Texas. It's like the saddest city in America. I don't know if you've seen abundant joy and overflowing generosity, but the only way you can have abundant joy and overflowing generosity in times like this is if your God isn't money. And when you turn on the television or you watch on Facebook, everyone is going to try to scare you. They're going to tell you in a year or in a month, the bottom's going to drop out and the, everything is going you know, to, 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 to fall apart. And the reason why they do that is they want to make you fearful. They want to make you fearful because the more fearful you are, the more money you spend. And they get rich off of making you afraid. And so they'll they'll do this. And the reason being is that their God is money. 
and their God has died. And when we look at the economy today, the God of money might slowly be resuscitating, but he is not resurrecting. And our God, Jesus, has resurrected and he is still alive. In times of uncertainty, in times of dire circumstances, if your God is money, then when your God dies, then your sense of security, comfort, and joy die too. But if your God is Jesus, then even in the midst of any circumstance, your God is still alive. So therefore, so is your source of joy and generosity. And this is what the Macedonians understood. And in that day, there was two things that uh, they had that, that, that we have that today that they did not have. First is you couldn't go to the bank and you couldn't take out a loan when times were tough. The second thing is they didn't have social services to fall back on. And so uh, what they did was they responded in, to the life of the church. And as the Macedonians understood this, they realized that everything that they have is a gift. And though that they have little, they've been given very much. And they begged to take part in the act of generosity, in providing out of their lack into the needs of the community. And Paul is saying, this is the church that we aspire to be like. And this is the mentality of a Christian. And there's three ways that we can view our money. First is, what's mine is mine. What's mine is mine. You've probably heard this. Whose name is on the paycheck? It's mine. I've earned it. I deserve it. It's mine. It's a selfish mentality. And then the other way is what's yours is mine. This is an entitlement mentality. And it happens on both sides. You know, young people, Democrats, they want free education. They want free health care. And Republicans, they want a free wall. Somebody's going to pay for it. Someone, somehow, somebody it has got to pay for it. This is not a political discussion. That's an economic one. It's an entitlement mentality. And you don't have to teach this because they're the natural inclinations of the human heart. Moms, you know this. After, you know, the silly noises, mama, dada, what is the next word a child learns? Mine. Everything belongs to them. Right? They're like little politicians. That's mine. That's mine. Like the government, right up at the top. That's mine, that's mine, that's mine. It's the natural inclination of a human heart. And there's a, another way that we could look at it is what's mine is his. That everything is a gift that God has graciously given us. And that it's not my money, it's his money. And this is the mentality of a steward. And when we understand this, the gospel changes everything. And it changes our mindset when it comes to money. It changes our mindset to realize that God has been good to me. God has been kind to me. God has loved me when I didn't earn it, when I didn't deserve it. And that Jesus is generous and Jesus is gracious and Jesus is a giver. And if he shares some with me, I can share some with you. And what this does is it changes our view of money from an obstacle to an opportunity. And that is not ours, but it is ours to give. And it changes our understanding of money from an obstacle to an opportunity. So here in this text, we find five giving statements that Paul writes to him. And number one is that giving reveals the grace of God. 
The reason why the first church grew so rapidly was due to their audacious generosity. That people saw something in that first church that was so attractive, that it was so other, that they lived so backwards and upside down from the rest of the world, that they were willing to give of themselves for the betterness of their church and their community. And that giving reveals the grace of God. Number two is that giving is a spiritual gift. As giving is a spiritual gift. You know, if you raised your hand in the introduction, you love to give, then most likely you either have the gift of giving or you have seen the blessing of giving. And for some of us, God gives us this gift. And others of us, it's through discipline and it's through maturity. You know, me and Ashley, we both have the gift of giving. And I know it sounds braggadocious just saying that, um, but one of the best ways that we can learn is by learning from others. So me and Ashley both have the gift of giving. Uh, she has always been very generous, and that's one of the things that drew me to her. If I have, you know, $20 in my pocket, she'll give it away. It's a true story. And, and that's, that's one of the things that I've always found so beautiful and attractive about her. But me, on the other hand, I didn't have the gift of giving. I have always been and kind of still am a little greedy, a little selfish. And instead of, you know, like giving money, my natural desire is to hoard it. You know, and so um, God had to, because it's not natural, God had to supernaturally change me into a giver, change me into a steward. And, and so, you know, uh, us having the gift of giving is really exciting and it's a lot of fun. And what Paul is writing here in this text, and he's referencing to the gifts is speech and faith and, and, and love and or writing to those spiritual gifts. And he says, you know, don't forget about the gift of giving. And he's writing to the church at Corinth. So in 1 Corinthians, you see all of the different gifts. And he says that if you have all of these gifts, if you speak in tongues, you prophesy, you have words of knowledge, but you don't have love or charity, then it means nothing. And I see this in churches a lot. Gifts, uh, like the miraculous gifts, like tongues or prophecy or miracles, they'll be elevated almost to the exclusivity of other gifts. And they become the attractive gifts that everybody desires. And the other gifts are, you know, seen as less than. And while we believe in the gifts here at Redemption, we don't do it at the annexing of the other gifts. And so, you know, think about this. Um, if, if God wanted to, you know, uh, feed the world, or maybe pretend, you know, that God actually cared about the poor, you know, just hypothetically think, you know, people, he, God wants people to meet Jesus, just hypothetically, think about that, right? What gift do you think he would use? He would use the gift of giving. He would use the gift of giving. And let me show you. Let me, let's look at this real quick. Right now, in the world, 80% of people live on less than $10 a day. 80% of the world's population lives on less than $10 a day. 22,000 children die daily from poverty and preventable diseases. And even worse than that, 3 billion people have never even heard of the name of Jesus. It's the world we live in. In a recent survey, they found that in the United States, Christians, Protestant evangelical Christians make $52 trillion a year. And so um, when we look at what God has already blessed us with, 
How much would it cost to end world hunger? 60 billion. And I think God has already given us the gift of giving. He has poured out his uh, generosity, his spirit of giving to us. The problem is, is we just keep it to ourselves. Because the average American gives $17 a week. See, in certain times, God has distributed his gifts amongst his people. In times of famine, he has given the gift of mercy. In times of doubt, he has given the gifts of miracles. And now in such economic uh, devastation, he has already given us the gift of giving. And it says here in verse 12 that the readiness is there. The readiness is here. But we just keep it for ourselves. That God wants to change the world and he starts with us. And giving statement number three. Giving reminds us of Jesus. I mean, think about it. Jesus is the most generous person who ever lived. For God so loved the world, he gave. And he gave his son, Jesus. And so giving makes us most like Jesus. And think about Jesus, eternal in heaven, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, existing within himself in the Trinity, in heaven, angels singing, angels worshiping, streets made out of gold. When you know they're making streets out of gold, you're doing pretty well. That's a pretty good economy. If, imagine if they ever finished building I-10, and they're just, the reason why it's taking so long is just waiting for the gold. <laughs> you know, we're doing all right. Right? And so Jesus in heaven leaves heaven as king and he comes to be born in a palace? No, in a manger. He comes to be born as a king? No, as a carpenter. Our Lord and Savior got a job and he worked 30 years of his life swinging a hammer with his dad named Joe. Right? So he was born to a single unwed teenage mom and he worked and he most likely was lower middle class and then he went into ministry, and you know that doesn't pay very well either. And so Jesus spent the next three years, the last three years of his life, homeless. We worship a homeless guy. Do you know that? He was homeless. He was traveling around the country preaching and loving and healing people, and he was crashing on couches and sleeping in back rooms. And it says that there was uh, the, women that, the women of the town that supported his ministry. And Jesus, when tax time came along, he couldn't even pay his taxes. And I know tax uh, week was last week, and some of us are starting to you know, feel the pinch of it, you know. But I'll just remind you, you know, uh, uh, Jesus couldn't pay his taxes either. So there you go. You're like Jesus. Um, and when, you know, God walked the earth, the government was like, hey, let's tax him too. So Jesus paid his taxes. And, you know, he did so by telling his friends to go pull a coin out of the fish's mouth. And so if you see anybody out fishing this week, then you know what's going on. And you know, whenever you hope a credit card's in a fish's mouth, like the struggle is real. And so Jesus did all of that, yet he was without sin. And he was without sin and he took upon us his, uh, he took upon himself rather our sin. He gave us his grace. He gave us his love. He gave us hope. He gave us redemption. He gave us salvation. Jesus is generous. Jesus was poor. Jesus was broke. And Jesus still gave. And so when we give, we are most like Jesus. Think about what Jesus has given you. He has given you himself. 
He's given you his salvation. He's given you this church. He's given you his spirit. He's given you his Bible. Jesus is generous. And we want to be like Jesus. So that means we are a generous people. Giving statement number four. Giving is a gospel issue. Giving is not a financial issue. Giving is a gospel issue with financial implications. And when we have the mindset of a steward, when we have the mindset of audacious generosity, not only do our, uh, does our money go from an obstacle to an opportunity, but we turn from owners to contributors. We turn from consumers to contributors. And that all of our life, we've been as consumers just taking. But now because the gospel changes us, then we go to be contributors to giving. Because we recognize that the church does not exist to meet our needs, but the church exists to meet the world, the needs of the world. And that it's not about us, but it's about Jesus. And that if it's my money, then I can do whatever I want with it. But if it's God's money, then I'm free to give it away. And, and, and so, so it turns us from uh, consumers to contributors. And when you have a need, I see that need, I meet that need. And that God has given us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to care. And so we get to freely meet that need because we have received freely. And it's a gospel issue that Jesus would be the center of our lives. That everything we have belongs to him. So giving is a gospel issue with financial implications. Point number five is giving is proportionate to the giver. And so what this means is, you know, we don't, uh, we give out of what we have, not out of what we don't. So we don't go into debt giving. You know, you can give with your debit card, but don't give with your credit card. You think like, uh, I hear people, you know, say, I, I don't really have enough to give. And that's, I understand that. I understand that. You know, we see this all the time when it comes to the holidays. You know, people will go out and they spend massive amounts of money that they don't have to buy gifts that people don't need. And when they give it to the person, they play with it for a month. It breaks where they just stick in the closet and they forget all about it till next year. We also see it with young couples who want to impress one another. And so they go out to eat for every single meal. And they think that's impressive. But when they look at their bank account, it's not very impressive. And we see this with you know, servers who wait tables all night and they drink away their tip money after they get off of work. They say, but hey, I bought a round for everybody at the bar. That's generous, right? And so for those people who say, I, I can't give, I can't participate, it's not proportionate, and the plate passes and you do nothing, I have very little understanding for that. Because you do have the means, but you just love your possessions more than God. Then you love your possessions more than people. And what you can do is, is you can either like uh, love money and use people or you can love people and use money. And I don't have much tolerance or understanding for that. But what about, say, the single mom? What about the shift worker who got laid off? What about those who are on disability? What about those who are un unable to work? And that brings us to the next big idea, is do we have to tithe? Not only does the Bible change our mindset, but it also changes our measure of giving. So let's talk 
about the tithe. The tithe was uh, never, uh, the tithe is a 10% of the Old Testament, uh, what people um, made in the Old Testament. And so that was God's way of um, providing for the work of the ministry. And so as the tithe, it's a 10% of your first fruits, a 10% of uh, your belongings and the things that you have made. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord your God with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. And so this was the tithe. It was the first. It was the best. Some people say I give 5%. I tithe 5%. That's not a tithe. That's a five. Okay. And so when we give as if the Old Testament people gave, they gave a tenth of their possessions. They gave a tenth of their income. And so in the book of Malachi, it writes about how um, the church or the people there, they weren't giving their best. And they would bring to God their, you know, jacked up lambs with their eyes hanging out and their broken legs. And they say, here you go, here you go, God, here's my offering. And God says, you have robbed me. You have robbed me with your tithes and your offerings. And they say, how have we robbed you? And he says, by bringing me your worst. And we see that, um, that the tithe was bringing the first and was bringing the best. And me in my own life, I didn't give for about a year of being a Christian. Every week the plate would pass and I would just kind of be happy to pass it, but I never put anything in it. Until one day a switch went off in my head. I'd always been thinking like, God, this is my money. I've earned this. And then a switch went off in my heart and it says, no, God, this is your money and you have given this to me. Now, thank you, God. My, my way I looked at it was that, um, that this was 100% my money and that God wanted 10% of my money. And then something happened and said, this is 100% of God's money. And he's asking for 10. That I can live on 90% and that God is just asking for the change back. And I think about it like a dad who would you know, give his kids some money to go to the store or to go to the movies and hand him a 20. The kid goes and comes back and said, just give me the change. And that's kind of what it's like, that God has, has given us the gift or given us the money we have and he's just simply asking for the change back. It's like if I were to give you $1,000 and I would say, hey, you know, give me a percentage back. What would you say? I'd say, well, I mean, I'd say 50-50 is a good deal, right? Yeah, but God just asks for 10. Hey, I'll take that deal all day. That's a good, that's a good deal. And that's what the tithe is. And some people say, well, the tithe is Old Testament. And so I believe in grace giving. And that's awesome. Because there's two standards of giving. First is the tithe, and then there's the New Testament grace giving. For New Testament grace giving, like we see here in 2 Corinthians, uh, appears in this text eight times, the word grace. And what they'll say is that's old covenant, and because of Jesus, we don't have to tithe anymore. And so now, because of grace, we're set free from the law, and then we can just kind of, we can just give as the Spirit leads. And the problem with that is, while it is true that the tithe is outside of a couple of references from Jesus in the New Testament is never mentioned. But the tithe being the law actually goes back before the law to the book of Genesis. When we see Abraham and Melchizedek, we see Cain and Abel. And it goes through, the, through, through Genesis, goes through the law, the prophets, the wisdom. And even Jesus talks about it in the New Testament as well and through the Gospels. And so while the law was never um, was never commanded, it was also never receded in the New Testament. 
And what happens is people who use grace giving, what they do is they use it as an excuse to not give. But think about it, on this side of the New Testament, on this side of the resurrection, have we been given more than the first covenant people? The presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us? That Jesus is resurrection? And so we see that, that, that grace giving, uh, it, it, it always goes beyond the tithe. And it never falls short of it. And every New Testament reference of generosity goes beyond the tithe and never falls short of it. And so that brings us to the question is, what do we do, redemption? Do we tithe or do we grace give? And the answer is, it's both. It's both. And when we recognize that, uh, that, 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 that giving is not either or, but both and, what it does is it changes us. It frees us. When we recognize it's not either or, but both and, then the tithe becomes the floor and grace becomes the ceiling. And that the tithe is the training wheels to grace giving. And we see that the tithe is the minimum requirement, but audacious generosity is proof of a life that has been changed by the gospel of Jesus. And so the tithe is a great place for us to start, but that's not what God has planned for us to end. That he has so much more for us and planned in our lives. So how did I learn how to give? And I told you this before, and I'll I'll tell you again. Because I, I want you to learn not only from my failures, but also what little successes in life I have. Um, I learned to give by waiting tables. Um, about a year went by and I never tithed anything. And I would wait tables and uh, I didn't make a lot of money. Um, and so I just determined whatever I made on Saturday, I was going to give. And I was a poor steward. I spent most of my money on beer and cigarettes and uh, just did not make very good decisions with my uh, finances. And me and Ashley were uh, just married and um, paid our rent and whatever left over. Uh, we tried to have some fun. And so I was like, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you with this. So I sat down and, and I would work. Saturday shift didn't make a lot of money, probably about 40 bucks. Um, but it kind of turned out to be about 10% of what I would make that week, $300, $400 all week. And so a lunch shift it was easy for me to just drop in. And then I actually felt pretty good about that because for the first of my life, I was a philanthropist. And so I was like, all right, cool, this is good. So then I stopped working for myself and I was like, everything I make on this day, I'm gonna give to God. So then I started working harder because it wasn't about me. And as I started working harder, I got moved to working mids and doubles and nights. And so my giving consistently increased and it felt pretty good. And so one day I worked a double and I made like 200 bucks. And I'm sitting there on Sunday morning and I'm just like, oh my God, I only made $400 this week. This is like half of what I made. And the plate came around, I'm gripping that thing, I'm white knuckling and clenching my teeth. Take a deep breath, as the plate passed, I dropped in there and something happened. Something happened. The God of money in my heart died. And Jesus took his rightful place. And I stopped thinking about it as being my money. But it was God's money. And that he let me live on 90% of his money. And for that year, the first time, we actually gave 10%. And that was amazing. And so every year after that, we've strived and pledged and planned to give a percent over. 
And so last year was pretty amazing because we were in the middle of planting this church. And about a year ago, there was nobody who tithed or gave to this church at all besides me, my grandparents, and uh, Miss Sam, who goes to our home church. And so when we wanted to have our first interest gathering, you know, to start this guy, we couldn't even afford the baked potatoes to have our friends over. And so, you know, we gave outrageously and audaciously because we believe in this church. And where Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart is. And my heart is here for you. And my heart is for this city. And so I give outrageously and audaciously because I love you. Because I love what Jesus is doing in this church. Because I love what Jesus has planned for this city. And I want you to join God in that as well. That what Jesus has in store for us is bigger than anything that we could attribute or achieve on our own. And this is why it's important for us to understand that the gospel changes the way that we give. So why do we give? And that leads us into the mission of giving. And I know a lot of churches don't like talking about money, but here at Redemption, we've made it a core value. We like to be a little bit different, so there you go. We've made it a core value because we believe that giving changes the world. And so what would it look like for us as a church to be like the Macedonians? And I want to show you what it would look like. It's if you see that Americans were to tithe, if the Protestant church in America was to tithe, what could we accomplish? The average American gives $17 a week, two, uh, only 2% uh, tithe, or the average American gives 2%. And um, one out of every four people don't give anything. That's where we're at. And the world would say, uh, what would the world look like? Well, here's what we look at. 24 billion would end world hunger and disease. 12 billion would end illiteracy in five years. We got 15 billion would provide clean water to the world. 1 billion would fully fund all overseas missions work. And we'd still have 100 billion left over for the local church for expansion and local missions. That's what would happen if the church in America would tithe. That's it. We could change this world. So when people ask, why is there so much suffering in this world? Why would God allow people to die? What about people who have never heard of the name of Jesus? Why is there so much suffering? You know what I say? I don't know. I do my part. I don't know because God has given us everything we need to change the world already. And so when we look at the mission of giving, how the gospel changes the way we give, God has already given us everything we need. The readiness is there. And I can't speak for other churches, but I will speak for this church. Is this church will be a generous church. This church will be a church that people will look at and say, those people love like Jesus. Those people look like Jesus. Those people give like Jesus. I, I may not agree with them, but I can't deny them. And when people see this church, they will see a gracious church, that they will see Jesus. And because I know stats don't change hearts, but stories do, let me show you a picture. This is why we give. There we go. This happened just a couple of weeks ago. We baptized 12 people right outside in the middle of Crockett Street. That's my buddy Alex. Him and his fiance were baptized together. Lives changed. 
because somebody gave. Did you get that? And the gospel changes the way that we give. So here's my challenge for you today. First is to start tithing. I know it might be hard for some of us, but I challenge you to start tithing. And I'd encourage you that you can live more on 90% in God's will than 100% outside of it. My second challenge is for you to teach tithing. Tithing is something that is taught as well as caught. Many of the people that I talked to throughout this week, they learned to tithe, they learned to give from their parents, or they learned to give from hanging around with other friends. And let me say this, the, um, the, the least likely person to give is a person who's in their 20s, single, and liberal. Welcome to redemption. But interestingly enough, the average giver learned to tithe in their 20s. So the future's bright for us. And the challenge number three is to take tithing to the next level. Remember, tithe is the training wheels to grace giving. And for some of us, just the 10% would be very sacrificial. And you'll feel that. For others of us, 10%, it's not even a drop in the bucket. For some of you, 10%, you need to go beyond that. It's time for you to experience the joy of grace giving. And I know some of you aren't Christians and you're just visiting the church for the first time and you're wondering like, oh man, did I, choose, did I really come on the money week? Let me put you at ease. As you just got to watch a little family discussion. And so you got to hear the vision of why we do all of this and it's so you can sit here with us today. And so, you know, if you're the first time, hey, we don't want anything from you. I'm not asking for your money. And if you're not a Christian, as we call the band forward, if you're not a Christian, we don't want your money either. Just letting you know that. We don't want anything from you, but we do want something for you. We want something for you, that you would know the grace of Jesus, that you would experience the love and kindness and goodness and generosity of Jesus and through the church. And if you're not a Christian and you've been striving and you're wondering why life is the way it is, it's because... It's the wrong God. All other gods are takers, and Jesus is a giver, and so many people have been taking from you your entire life, and Jesus wants to give something to you. And you don't owe, you can't owe him anything. It's not about your good deeds. It's not about what you have done. It's not about trying to pay off your debt because Jesus Christ has paid your debt for you. And you're here, and you're thinking, Jesus wants your worst. He wants your worst. Give him your sin. Give him the worst thing you have. Give him your shame. Give him your separation. Give Jesus your worst. And he will give you his best. He will give you himself. And it's all about Jesus. And we want you to love him and be like him. So redemption, as we pray and we're fixing to take communion as we do every week. Tables are over on the sides. I want you to think about this way that we respond. If y'all will stand with me as we pray.
God of grace, you renew us at your table with the bread of life. May this food strengthen us in love and help us to serve you and each other. We ask this in the name of, the Jesus, of Jesus the Lord. Amen. Amen. Tables are open. So stay and worship with us, and we'll all open up the altars on the side as well. <laughs>